everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cap Podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And welcome to this week's weekly recap, where we actually have a little bit more to cover than usual. We're going to be covering a little bit of realignment, a little bit of recruiting, though in a sport you'll never guess, men's and women's basketball, and then finally women's golf before the wacky segment of the week. But before we get into the episode, let's just have a reminder that we actually have a new Instagram that you can follow because, you know, Twitter, just Twitter, just Twitter, bottom text. Uh, you Twitter. can follow us on uh, at the Aggieville Cats on Instagram. But if you still want to follow us on Twitter, we encourage it. We're still on the road to 1000. So you can follow us there at Aggieville Cats as well. We are 20 away from 1K. So please feel free to help us out and get there. So let's start off with a little bit of realignment news, which, of course, it wouldn't be an Aggieville Alley Cats episode if we didn't somehow mention realignment within like a month of one another, because that's just it's just how we do it. So the Pac-12 basically may go boom. <laughs> that I know we've been saying this for a long time. We kind of put this as a hypothetical scenario. I'm not sure how hypothetical it is anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, this kind of resurgence of the, um, of the death of the PAC 12 is super, super new news. Like this is like hours old public news, I think at this point, uh, at the time of recording. So this could develop in many different ways, but a lot of this, I think, stems from the increasing smoke around the Pac-12 probably adding SMU and San Diego State. And I think Pac-12 schools, from what we can tell, are not exactly happy about that. Because I think that they were buying what uh, George Klyavkov was selling, which was that they were going to do better than that. And they aren't. Uh, because granted, a lot of that does fall on the shoulders of Brett Yormark for going out and getting a media deal done faster than the Pac-12. It's not a perfect deal, but getting it done and keeping the uh, prior uh, payment structure, or at least the level, I guess I should say, we're we're making the same TV rev. uh, That's pretty impressive given the constraints and the speed that they had to work with. And it also hamstrings the Pac-12. So it seems like the Pac-12, we, we've said this before, like we'll probably say it again. It seems like this is the beginning of the end when stuff like this starts to leak out. There's like discontent because up until this point, they've put together a pretty united front, honestly. Yeah. But the cracks are really starting to show right now. And I think the reality setting in of being forced to add SMU and San Diego State, which are schools that we didn't even add. We, we had the option to, and we passed them over for better options. So I think the reality of that is really setting in for some of the Pac-12 schools to have a realistic shot at leaving. That puts the Big 12 in a fantastic position because um, they're the only one that's going to really be able to take those schools and they have the pro rata clause in their contract so they can uh, just increase the payout to keep, the, to keep it level. So every school is like adding or the very least keeping it even. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is a really fascinating situation. I don't know. What do you think, Ace? I do know that one of the, you were mentioning it before the episode, that one of the Arizona like news guys that follows Arizona and Arizona sports, they were saying that basically, you know, Arizona state was one of the, was the, of the two Zona schools state was the one that wanted to stay. But now they're getting more and more upset because they realize that they're kind of on a sinking ship because the best options are SMU and San Diego State. And you're not like, I'm sorry, you're not San Diego State. You're not going to get the San Diego market like the, you as much as you would really enjoy getting the San Diego market. It's just not you're not going to get that, not from a university. So I think that there's just like a lot of internal cracks starting to show. And I'm not going to grave dance on the Big 12 because We've been there. It sucks. Pac-12. 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 I'm not going to grave dance on the Pac-12 because it sucks. We've been there. But it, you know, the cracks are really starting to show there. And, you know, 
the the nail in the coffin is when Connor decides to make a spreadsheet. So whenever that happens, it's over. Spring break is coming. <laughs> the second I get time, I, I will be making the spreadsheet and the Pac-12 will disintegrate the second I open Excel. But, or Google Sheets, I don't have Excel. But no, yeah, uh, Jason Shear is the guy that we're referencing. Uh, he's a reporter for Arizona Sports. Uh, that's not the publication. It's wildcatauthority.com. Uh, but he was putting out a lot of um, stuff about the Arizona's kind of poking around. Uh, back in the fall, but things kind of died down for the past few months, like through football season and beginning of basketball season. But uh, right now, what he's saying is uh, Arizona State is not happy about the developments right now because SMU, again, they're they're like the eighth or ninth sports option in that metro area. Like yeah. there are many, many schools that are preferred over SMU in that area. I mean, well, TCU for one, uh, the Cowboys, the Mavericks, the Rangers, um, Rangers uh, who's their hockey team? Stars? Stars. Stars. Yep. Um, then honestly, probably Texas, University of Texas, Texas Tech is probably preferred over them too. My SMU is not very high on the totem pole. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> the DFW uh, sports arena and they're also their fan support's not very good that's just not an inspiring ad at all really and it's not shocking that that is really starting to dig at some of these Pac-12 members so it may end up being a situation where the Big 12 takes two takes four I don't know maybe we don't take any and we just kind of smile and wave as the, the ship sinks <laughs> But Hi, everyone. I, I imagine that your mark is finding ways to hopefully take advantage of the situation. But then again, we're very early in this kind of resurging. Like there hasn't been a lot of news about this in the past few months, but it is interesting because allegedly Arizona State was one of the four corner was maybe the four corner school that wanted to stay the most in the Pac-12. But uh, Arizona was kind of the one that was kind of pining to leave, but all of a sudden Arizona State seems to be more open to the idea, according to Jason Shear. Um, said it doesn't mean that it will, but their mindset has changed. And I think probably what was happening is that Arizona State wanted to stay in the Pac-12 because it's a ac- prestigious academic conference and uh, they feel comfortable there because they've been there for a long time. Maybe this was just the kick that they needed to see reality, I guess, because outside perspective, it's very easy to see where the Pac-12 is going. Inside perspective, maybe they just were really buying what Klyovkov was selling about saving the conference. And I think maybe seeing some of these TV numbers that have been coming back about how much value SMU adds, hint, not a lot, <laughs> if any, but then um, maybe that's kind of given them a new perspective on the matter, but something could happen. Nothing could happen. I won't be shocked. These things move really slowly. I mean, it's been like three, four, five months since we've gotten substantive news uh, on anything regarding realignment. So it it could be another three, four, five months. It could be tomorrow or I suppose the day that you're listening to this, but it could be anything really. And, uh, I so I hesitate to make a prediction, especially this early in the rumor mill cycle. Yeah. Uh, but I, it seems more likely than ever the Pac-12 is not going to make it much longer because early returns on potential media deals sound pretty abysmal right now. Yeah. Which you know, that's a shame. But that that's pretty much realignment. Now recruiting, and if you guessed what sport we were going to talk about in terms of recruiting, no, you didn't, you're lying. Tennis has the 22nd best recruiting class in the nation, women's tennis specifically. So they're already a pretty solid team if memory serves. I know they have a a girl from Osaka, Japan, who's insanely good. But yeah, it, you know, having the 22nd best recruiting class, fun fact. It does not hurt. Um, They've not had a very good spring, unfortunately. Uh, It has been a bit of a struggle for them thus far. Um, I don't know if we've ever actually talked about tennis on this before. So 
Uh, but yeah, allegedly 22nd best recruiting class in the country. I did not realize that they measured tennis recruiting. Good for them. Uh, but yeah, they're somebody from the Czech Republic and then somebody from Germany are going to be cats next year to play tennis. Super cool. I, I don't have much else to say about that. There, there's no film to watch. We wouldn't I be able to I, break down tennis film anyway. It'd be a I shame if there was more tennis film than women's basketball film. That would be a shame. Honestly, wouldn't shock me given that a lot of them are probably playing uh, at some like semi-professional tournaments and stuff. So there may be some match recording. I'm not really sure how that works, but I don't want to linger on this too long just because we don't really have a lot to say about nope. it, but it did happen. So throw that in the back of your mind, forget about it or what you will, be, or become a K-State tennis super fan and go to all their matches. I think it's free, but it's probably like, free. I'd imagine, but yeah, I, I, I remember seeing that thought it was interesting. Yeah. So that's recruiting news. <laughs> now we can talk about men's basketball. And the first game's painful. It was the loss up against Texas in Manhattan. Sold out crowd 69 to 66 in favor of the Longhorns. I get upset just thinking about this game, honestly, because this was one of the biggest choke jobs that I've seen from a K-State basketball squad. And that's saying a lot. And it, it hurts because we were up 14 at one point in the second half, end up losing by three. And honestly, the, the majority of the second half, it it wasn't good. It felt terrible, honestly. The entire second half felt terrible watching. And I think a lot of it had to do with just some key performers just not showing up to their normal potential. And then absolutely collapsing in the second half. I'm not sure if it was an effort thing or if they just got out schemed, out coached, but Tang said after the game that the fans deserve better than this. And I, yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I wasn't, I wasn't on like the full scale, like meltdown train, like some people were, which like they're well within their right to do. So I still think it's like weird to melt down, especially you know, considering how, like, what this team has shown. I think it's weird to say that this team was, like, awful or anything, but I get people being upset because I was upset. It honestly kind of ruined my weekend. But, <laughs> yeah, do you do you want to cover starters or do you want to just kind of cover this game more generally? Um, I, I, I don't really want to delve too much into, this, like, specific stats from this game, but maybe more just, like, performances, I think, is the best way to go about it. So we can just kind of go uh through some of the like highlighted players and uh just kind of review what they did how they did um and just like what was going on with them in this game so i guess we can start with keontae johnson because i mean he's the 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 bannerman uh of this game he led the team in scoring i uh, was 16 but he still had four fouls uh he's been getting exposed recently uh on charge calls uh, some of them are questionable, but he has to know that they're coming because yeah. it is painfully obvious. <laughs> yeah, every, every opponent is trying to draw a charge on him early in the game or force him into a dumb foul. He should know that. I it's maybe he just gets into games really amped and just like forgets to like think sometimes, which is yeah. fair. Like he gets to tone it down but, a bit. And but he does need to slow down and be a bit more careful when driving. Uh, but. Yeah, this was a interesting game for Keontae. 25 minutes, uh, but still gets 16 points. Uh, again, this is time because that foul trouble, but uh, availability is ability. And Keontae Johnson needs to be playing more than 25 minutes. Uh, so I uh, that's pretty disappointing that he has been getting into a lot of foul trouble. Some of that is, I guess, officiating, but regardless, he he knows that he's got a target on his back at this point from the officials. The officials, yeah. he does not get star treatment uh, from from the officials at all. No, he doesn't. Yeah, you know, which is a shame, but yeah, he's going to have to be more careful uh, in, in those regards. And he still made some big shots, made some uh, made a couple of threes, but Again, two four the free two or four the free throw line. Got to convert those if you're Keontae Johnson. You know you're the 
you're the most talented player on the team. You have to be able to go to the free throw line and hit big time shots. But I don't know. What do you think about KJ's performance? Uh, KJ wasn't the problem to me. I, the problem, God, I, uh, like I said, KJ did fine. The problem with me comes with the next guy, Marquise Noel. And I, we kind of projected that Keese would come back down to earth at one point after, you know, one of the most ridiculous starts of, of conference play that the conference has ever seen. But I, he was not good. <laughs> he was just straight, not good. He was four of 11 from the field. You want to see more from him. Oh, five from three. No, two of two on his free throws. He did get six rebounds. He had four fouls, three assists, six turnovers. You can't have that from your primary distributor because when Keese is on, he's probably one of the best distributors in the country. And that's just when he's on. But we're seeing a little bit of last year, really bad, like Jekyll Keese last year, where he would just, he would do worse than disappear. He would just turn the ball over at a ridiculous rate. And I, I think a lot of it is like, oh, he still has he still thinks it has to be him and there there are so many scoring threats on this team that you don't need to go for the flashy like in between the legs pass every time just like kick it to cam <laughs> like just lob it into david gasson you don't have to be that hero especially like oh five from three but yeah, I, yeah turnovers in general were ridiculous and 19 to 11 assists that's not yeah. acceptable and he a lot of times those turnovers are like backbreaking turnovers or just really, really dumb plays that we know that he knows better than. Um, but some of the fouls were really bad too. Like late in the game, he had like a just a really, really dumb moving screen. Like it, it was just not a smart play. I shouldn't say dumb. It was not a smart play. Uh where he just like leaned his shoulder into a guy and why are you doing that? Like like there's there's no need. Uh because he was already in his way. Like, it wasn't like he, like, leaned to the side. He just leaned into him. Like, I get that maybe he's, like, bracing a little bit because, like, he's a smaller guy. But, like, don't turn it into an illegal screen. You know, just just stay there. Stay square. But, yeah, this was a not fantastic game for Marquise Noel at all. One of his worst on the year. He does make his way to 10 points, but it took him a long time to get there. Um, he still had a big shot late. He hit like a, a mid-range jumper um, that went in, uh, which was good. The 05 from three is not what we, what we need from him, considering three-point shooting is one of his biggest assets. But yeah, six turnovers or just three assists, that's just unacceptable performance. And just all in all, a, a really big struggle uh, from Marquise Noel to not get in the way in this game because he more often than not was the the cause of the issues he was the root cause of a lot of our problems in this game yeah but like outside of him the only other really notable performance comes from desi sills who ended up scoring 11 getting five rebounds but he like all of our primary contributors were in foul trouble like i yeah those top three guys all had four by the end yeah i there's not much you can really do there. You know, Naquan... It, okay, if I ever see Naquan trying to distribute again, I may lose my mind. <laughs> yeah, he he's kind of had a, a rough stretch of games. Uh, I think the adjustment to power conference play, Um, he's a first-year power conference guy. A lot of times, players like that, they hit a wall by yeah. the, about the time you hit the middle of conference play. So that's not out of the ordinary. Um, Cam Carter's hitting a similar wall because they both... Naquan and Cam Carter both had four turnovers in this game. That's unacceptable. Um, Cam was like fine shooting the ball, but no assist to four turnovers, then no steals either. Still playing solid defense, but that's not the performance that we need out of Cam uh, to turn the ball over as much as he did. But yeah, it was just just a really frustrating experience and a, uh, a game that we should have won. One last guy I think I'll mention and frankly, I don't know how much of this is his fault per se. Uh, and that's Ishmael Sood. Uh, definitely the last play is one that sticks out. He had time to get set, I think, but he rushed 
and took like a on one foot fading three to like try and send it to overtime and airballed, of course, because that's just not a good shot. But he was one of nine on the day and one of six from three and two of two at the free throw line uh, in 13 minutes. So he took nine shots in 13 minutes and only made one of them. Um, he won here. There are two perspectives that I think are both equally valid and probably both correct. Uh, and the first one is that it should not be taking that many shots because I think he should know better than to take nine shots uh, in a game, uh, especially when he's ice cold. But also, we shouldn't be putting him in positions to take shots that often as well. There are multiple offensive sets or offensive possessions that ended with the ball and his hands on the wing with like six ish seconds to go. And that puts him in a really awkward spot where he kind of just needs to make something happen. And he's just not a playmaker. That's just not his game. And that that's an offensive issue. We should not be getting ish the ball like that late in the shot clock. Cause that's putting him in a bad position too. Granted, he did just he just was ice cold from three this game. Yeah. He he was just not hitting a shot. <clears throat> but he also was put in positions. He was not always put in a position to succeed, I think, in this game as well. So I think there's two sides to that coin. So I'm not going to dump on him too much. It just wasn't his night. And he created some of his own issues, but some of those issues were dealt to him as well. So would like to see better from him uh, in the future. Uh, he's been a little bit cold these last few games, but... Uh, that's really the only other super notable performance other than I guess Bebe went four for four at the free throw line. He stresses me out so much when he shoots free throws. <laughs> it like, takes so long. Yeah, he he takes forever to like charge up his shot. And the whole time, like everything about like his like motion and like warm up gives me no confidence that he's gonna make it. But he's like an 80% free throw shooter. Yep. Like good for him. I'm glad it works for him, but it, it just really stresses me out. Like yeah, it's not a it's not a yeah. It's it's a stressful shot. I'm not gonna yeah. lie to you. I agree. Yeah, don't change what works, man. But maybe do. That's <laughs> scary. Yeah. Oh, and one <laughs> last thing to mention: difference in this game is Tyke Green fouling at uh, the very end of the first half on that mm-hmm. three point shot. Uh, that was just, that was one minute, and that foul was the only thing that he logged. So rough performance for Tyke Green. Luckily, he would find a way to rebound from that, though. And but. Yeah, and that's the that's the next game, which is up against TCU, also in Bramlage. This was an eighty-two to sixty-one Wildcat victory, so that was a drubbing of a you know top twenty school. And uh, before we go into anything else, the student section fell in love with the referee Doug Sermons, and uh, I think he loved us back. But <laughs> was he interacting with the crowd? Yes. Oh, good for Doug. What yeah. We, yeah, we, we had fun, but this game, man, like this game was kind of like the opposite of last game where like we had last game, we had a spectacular collapse. This one, it was like, oh, well, this is cool. And then like, they started pulling back in and then we just went like, (laughs) we went nuts for about two minutes. It scored like 15. It was like, oh, 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 that just happened. Yeah, cool. Yeah, this was a game that um, we controlled for part of the first half. We led most of the way. I think we led the entire second half, but TCU did cut it down uh, to two a couple of times early. And then later in the half, uh, I was waiting for the the whole time uh, when we were in that double-digit lead. They started cutting it down. They got it down to six. And... At that point, I was like, this is exactly how it was against Texas. Um, We just let the lead slip away. But luckily, Jerome Tang learned from his mistake against Texas. And it was against Texas. He did not call his timeouts when he needed to. He waited way too long. It didn't stop Texas's momentum. And this game, with four minutes and 39 seconds left, he called a 30-second timeout. And uh, then after that, K-State went on a 15 to zero run uh so that uh, was a timely timeout by drum tank because at the timeout when it started it was 65 59 and then in between that uh four minute and 40 second mark all the way down to uh just 45 seconds left tcu did not score 
and we added 15. So Jerome Tang learned the power of the timely timeout, I guess. I mean, I think he already knew about it, but just needed to use it at the right time. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he, he um, used the timeout at the right time. And I'm glad to see that growth in Coach Tang because it's okay to say that even though we love Coach Tang and he's a fantastic coach, that he is fallible and capable of mistakes and not using timeouts properly against Texas was a mistake, but he used timeouts perfectly uh, against TCU. He called it at just the right time, right before TCU could really tip over the momentum completely, even though it was solidly in their hands. Uh, Instead, he calls the timeout, stops them in their tracks, TCU fouls, and then we get a Tyke Green dunk, a Tyke Green layup, a three by Keontae Johnson, a layup by Keontae Johnson. Um, and then Keese makes a free throw. Keese makes three from the logo. The, the logo three. <laughs> and at that point, all of a sudden, you're up 21. Like it's nothing. And in just four minutes. And a, would not have happened without that timeout being called at the right time. So big shout out to Jerome Tane there for some fantastic coaching, learning from his mistake. And uh, taking control of the game and not letting TCU dictate the pace late. So fantastic work, Trim Tang. Yeah, I agree. And <clears throat> this was one of those games that we just, you know, our our contributors stepped up. You know, Marquis, 7 of 17, 3 of 7 from 3. He did miss one of his free throws, but yeah, you take those. Eight that positive. was with like 30 seconds left. So yeah. like it didn't really matter. You know, he had a positive assist to turnover ratio. He still turned it over too much. He still had six, but it's a positive ratio. So two steals, also you can add on to that. Also had a block. I don't remember that happening. Oh, no, I do. I remember it because it was literally, I know this doesn't really narrow it down, but it was someone like a foot taller than him and he just kind of stuffed it. (laughs) But yeah, I completely forgot about that. He had 18. KJ had 14, you know. He was two of two on his three attempts, he, you know, seven rebounds, still six turnovers again, too much. Gasson hurt himself again, but came back, got ended up getting 10 points. Cam Carter, two of seven, one of three from three, seven total points. Naquan Tomlin, I, I still, I don't like seeing him pass the ball, but I that's not his role. So he had four and, you know, obviously you have the two people off the bench of Desi and Taiki, 14, 13. And, have they announced the finalists for like Big 12 six man of the year? They don't really do finalists for that. They just kind of do it at the end of the year, like when they announce like the first team and second team and whatnot. But Desi, I imagine, is on top of the list right now. I might be forgetting somebody, but I can't. It's probably, think. Well, it's well, probably the Texas guy. But yeah, you're right. It's probably like Serge Avari Rice. Yeah, I, I forget that Serge Avari Rice is the six man. I, I always think he's a starter, but uh it's either him or Desi, I think. But no, yeah, Tyke Green was fantastic as well. Uh, I tweeted it. I tweeted it uh, that his only two double-figure scoring games of the year have been against TCU. He was one rebound away from a double-double. Uh, he had nine rebounds. Uh, four of them offensive rebounds. Had thirteen points. Most of them dunks, and he missed a dunk as well. Um, and. Uh, 25% of his scoring this season uh, has come against TCU. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it has. Yeah, he likes playing against fight. TCU. He likes playing yeah. against the Frogs. He does. Honestly, he's a pretty good matchup for TCU. He's a hyper athlete that likes getting to the rim, which is TCU's game. And TCU is really good at getting to the rim, but with Lampkin out, uh, putting Tyke Green in as an undersized forward that is basically just a slasher that like runs to the rim and wants to get a shot as close to the bucket as possible or a dunk. He's perfect against TCU. And I think we're pretty good at identifying guys that maybe kind of have specific skill sets that match up particularly well against an opponent. And Tyke Green is just kind of TCU's kryptonite. Hopefully he can do that against OU because we haven't played them yet. But um, a lot lot of performances to really like. Uh, David Gasson, I think, really flew under the radar in this game because he did miss some time, but he was perfect from the field, perfect at the free throw line, four rebounds, one of them offensive, only one foul, two assists, no turnovers, a block, and a steal. That is a fantastic performance by David Gasson and shows that we were really missing him in that uh, first matchup. Yeah, TCU had a hobbled Eddie Lampkin that ultimately 
really didn't do anything. He played 18 minutes, only had one shot, turned it over twice. He just was a complete non-factor and probably should not have played. If he got I'm being honest. a lot. He got trolled a lot by the students. I, I did hear about that. I heard that he was getting really annoyed with the uh, with the crowd. Uh, yeah. Like I heard he was getting heckled by people behind him, and he was asking uh, assistant coaches to like make them stop or something like that. I don't know. That's that's what I heard. But uh, no, yeah, it was a this was just a really good performance for the most part by K State. Again, turnovers still too high for Keese and Keontae Johnson. Uh, granted, one of those Keese turnovers was him trying to dribble uh, the ball through the legs of a TCU player. I will begrudgingly allow it because it would have been really funny if it had happened. But, yeah. Uh, maybe be smart. Nice, but that'd be very funny. Yeah. But I mean, we found a way to kind of beat TCU in most of the ways that they normally beat other people, which is we had 40 points in the paint. They had 38. Uh, we had 11 second chance points. They had three. Yeah, they had more fast break points than us, but they only had 10 and we had seven. So that's pretty close there. And then bench points were just about even. They had a two-point edge there. Uh, But points against turnovers, one-point edge for TCU, but nowhere near where it was in the first matchup. So that and we hit more threes than they did. We got to the line a lot more than they did. We just outplayed them, especially down the stretch. I know that this was a TCU team without Mike Miles, and Mike Miles definitely changes the equation. But I, I know this is not how this works, but uh, you take his points per game average, throw it in here, and we still win the game. So I, I know that's not how how scoring works. But oh, no, 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 that's exactly how it works because it benefits uh, our narrative. You're right. So we would have beat TCU even if Mike Miles had played, <laughs> is what's being said here, I guess. But uh, and then we shot really well in the second half, uh, 61% from the field in the second half, 16 and 26. Uh, and then three of six at the three-point line. So a uh, really, really good shooting half. We shot 19 and 23 at the free throw line for the game. A lot of performances just to really like. Ish only played four minutes. Uh, but I just don't think TC is a great matchup for him. So I no. I get why. Uh, like, this just isn't a good spot for him. Um, Bebe Giola played a really solid 12 minutes. Uh, generally played good defense from what I could tell. Uh, we had him when Eddie Lampkin was in, he was the guy that we would have to front guard him. Uh, so that way Eddie Lampkin couldn't get comfortable in the post because that's what happened the last time we played them. Eddie Lampkin would just post up, get an entry pass and just bully our guys that he was bigger than. And so we just remedied that by having Bebe go in and uh, elect to not let him do that. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was worked. that simple. Yeah, it worked fairly well. Granted, Lampkin was definitely hobbled, but he's still a huge guy. So you still really have to work for it uh, when you're defending Lampkin. So this is a really, really admirable performance and also displayed resiliency that we did not see in the Texas game. So I was happy to see that as well. Uh, Keontae Johnson missed a lot of time in the first half again because of foul trouble. He got himself into quick foul trouble yet again but still managed to get his 14 points, 50% from the field, both his threes, four, six, the free throw line. Solid game. Six turnovers is still way too much, as you said earlier, but there's a lot to like here from this K-State performance against a really good TCU team. Big to split against this TCU team because uh, this is not, if we want to stay in the conference title race, which we are in right now, uh, we're definitely on the outside looking in, but if you want to stay in that race, you cannot be getting swept. And if you do get swept, you got to make up for it somewhere else and sweep somebody. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, the next games for K-State are at Texas Tech and at Oklahoma. Both of those are towards the bottom of the Big 12, but they're away games in the Big 12. So take that for what you will. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'd i rather not take that for what it is because uh, road Big 12 games are, yeah, they are not good for my sanity. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But that's men's basketball. Now we can talk about the lone women's basketball matchup. And that is up against Texas Tech, the Lady Red Raiders down in Lubbock. So it was a 78 to 68 victory in favor of the Red Raiders. I, just this was 
it's difficult to say anything other than it was another frustrating game. And I I really only need to tell you one stat, like, well, two stats from it for you to understand why it was frustrating. Four of 20 and then 18 to eight. That is four of 20 from three and then 18 turnovers to eight assists. Yikes. Suboptimal. Yeah. Though it is, it is very funny that Serena Sundell, alongside gaining her gamely injury, which it's not a surprise anymore. It happens every game. She shot 18 times from the free throw line. That is ridiculous. And she went 16 of 18, too. So she was doing fantastic at the free throw line. Yeah. That, that's wild that she gets 18 free throw attempts, makes 16 of them, and then only shot from the field seven times. Yep. Has a weird stat line. But yeah, yeah, just just kind of a bad game, really. Like we did granted at one point in the uh, third quarter, we cut the lead down to three. Uh, It was a 49 to 46 game. We were right in it. And then Texas Tech went on a little run, pushed it out to seven by the end of the third and then we cut it down to five again with a Gabby Gregory three um, early in the fourth. And then that was it, really. That was it. They got a quick layup, and then they just went on their merry way, went on a, a run all of a sudden. Just three minutes later, it went from a five-point game to a 14-point game. Mm-hmm. And the game just slipped away. And it's an absolute shame. But we've seen that story before on the road. And even at home from K-State this season, they're struggling a game late in the second half. They go on a run, get it close, and then it just slips. And then die. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember, I think it was Scott. Scott ended up saying that the women's team was appearing in some bracketology. And I love the women's team. I really do. They're honestly probably, they might well be one of my, they probably are, either my second or third favorite team on K-State. Uh, no one's beating the the football team. But <laughs> I I don't see it. <laughs> I I don't – the only way that they would they, – I could see them sneaking into the tournament is if they're weighting the Iowa and Iowa State wins heavily – I think they're getting a lot of credit for that Iowa win because Iowa has been really good this year. Caitlin Clark has been phenomenal. So I think they're getting a lot of a lot of love for for that specific game. And then also the Iowa State game. You know, Iowa is number five in the country right now, 19 and four overall, 11 and one in Big 12 and Big 10 play, I should say. They're a really good good team and they were ranked fourth when we played them so they've not really dropped at all like they've not really missed a beat there so i think we're getting a lot of credit for that because it's not like they were a highly ranked team early in the season and like fell off the face of the earth no we we went up and we we straight up beat them and then iowa state really good team and we beat them uh straight up so i i think we're getting some benefit for benefit of the doubt for that um I'm I'm grateful, I guess, but <laughs> I appreciate it, but like, yeah. I I don't I don't think that this team is really ready for the tournament. The the one contention you can make is that we do play five home games plus a road game at TCU. So the end schedule, we at least have that benefit. Granted, of those home games, they're all against very quality teams. I uh, get 16th ranked OU this Sunday. Then you play Baylor on Wednesday. Then you go on the road to TCU. And if we lose that, then we should burn everything down. <laughs> then we get KU at home. They've been really good this year. And then you end the season with Texas at home. I don't think we'll beat Texas uh, because no. they're just a matchup nightmare for us in every possible fashion, especially without Aoka Lee. Yeah. So I, I think at this point for the women's team, I think you hope for the NIT. I think that's a realistic expectation for the women's team. And if they make the NCAA tournament, I think what has to happen is you have to pick up a game 
in KC. I think you need to probably beat OU uh, this weekend. Yeah. Uh, you need to you obviously need to beat TCU on the road. You can't lose to TCU because that'd be a bad, bad, bad loss. Um, other than that, pick off a game that you're probably not supposed to, and you probably get some love for beating Iowa and Iowa State, and then sneak your way in as a play-in. Maybe do they have play-ins in the women's tournament? Uh, I don't. Let me check. Because I actually don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I think they would. I am hopeful that they are able to find their way, but they cannot continue to be as inconsistent from uh, from three point range uh, if they uh, uh, if they want a shot at making these LA tournament again. And if they do, they'll probably end up being like an 11 or 12 seed. That is, yeah, yeah. It's a Rough yeah, time to be in the Big 12. I think they do have play-in games. I think they okay. Do. Then maybe aim for that. Maybe you sneak in as one of the last four buys. But it's not looking good. That Texas Tech game would have been really big. Uh, instead, we get swept by Texas Tech on the season, uh, which is suboptimal at best. <laughs> but uh, this team does generally play a lot better at home. So there is that. Uh, but... Yeah, I, I'm I'm not super optimistic about them making the tournament. Yeah, because we need to win two of our remaining one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We need to win two of our next seven. That doesn't sound too bad. Uh, number 16 in the country, Baylor. Okay, TCU's not that bad. KU's winnable at home. West Virginia's not that great. At Oklahoma, I don't see. And then Texas. I... Like you can eke two victories out of there to make an NIT, but if you want to make the tournament, you almost have to win. You almost have to win four out of those seven. That's the number I was thinking. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Like, which ones yeah. would they win? Like, they I, would almost need to gank Oklahoma because yeah. they're not going to beat yeah. Baylor and they're not going to beat Texas. I think the only win that I think the only game there that's like a sharpie, like you can really write this one, is TCU on the road because I think TCU is that bad. Uh, like, like it should be alarm bells if we lose to TCU. They are, I think, winless in Big 12 play right now, like 10 or 11 games in. Mm-hmm. Uh, KU at home should at least be close. That is a good KU team, but they have been slipping recently. Uh, yeah, they just beat TCU by 20, but who hasn't? Um, <laughs> then uh, West Virginia on the road, we at least played them pretty close in Manhattan, so that's a potentially winnable game there. That's three. Then you have four games that you probably aren't favored to win so you got to steal one Mm. Uh, and i think ou at home is probably the most likely game to steal out of that bunch um texas is probably least likely i'd say but i don't know the odds are not great but (laughs) we we put ourselves in this spot uh we we lost multiple games this year that we probably should have won uh that's super super frustrating but yeah again we played ourselves into this position um they're kind of having a baseball team season right now low-key they're 11 to a home 0 and 6 away uh so it's same thing last year at least we're gonna we're probably knock on wood we're at least probably getting one road win at tcu we're we're being very confident about this game because tcu really is just atrocious and we like should that, feel bad if we it, lose to the. TCU. It's hard to put it into perspective how how not good TCU women's basketball yeah. is. Yeah, they're they're one of those teams that when the like you talk when like a coach talks to the media about them, you have to be like, well, they have really good players individually, like basically code for they 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 just suck. They're, like, they're bad. Yeah, they're zero and twelve in Big Twelve play, uh, six and seventeen overall. They've not won a game since before Christmas. They are a bad team, and we should absolutely feel really bad if we lose to them. The yeah. closest Big 12 contest they have had this year is a home loss by seven to West Virginia, then a home loss by eight to Texas Tech. Every other Big 12 game they have played has been a double-digit loss. So, yeah. Winnable game. 
I would say. Yeah. But anyway, that's kind of their path to the tournament. I kind of see them more as an NIT team and whether or not they make noise in the NIT, who's to say? Because they could just get hot in the NIT. If we end up winning the NIT, I don't know how I'd feel. <laughs> we the women's team has won the NIT before. Uh, they won it in two thousand and six, I think. I actually remember it. It's one of my earlier K State sports memories because I remember it was televised. And I remember that we uh, won the NIT, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." I guess I, I didn't really know what to make of it then. What either, is an NIT? <laughs> that, that's probably what I was asking because I. <laughs> I, I was also confused, but <laughs> but yeah, I that that's kind of the women's cats ball. Now, shortly on the women's golf, they ended up getting seventh of I believe like twenty sixth in their spring opener at uh, Florida Atlantic University. Not Felix and DK Uzama. I <laughs> I shortened it to FAU, but you know, good for them. It's a good result to start off a spring spring season. So congratulations to the women's golf team. I believe they shot seven over par. So. Um, allegedly, yes. Um, I, I think that's what they ended up shooting as a team. Uh, plus nine is what they shot. So they got seventh out of 14 uh, teams sandwiched in between Florida Atlantic, the host school, Kennesaw State. Vanderbilt ended up winning. Um, but. Yeah, we had some good individual performances. Uh, uh, Manon Donchge, uh finished tied for eighth with a final stroke count of 212. I don't know what par was on this. Uh, seems good, I guess. But... <laughs> they didn't give you the minus on her scorecard? Uh, no. No, they did not. But... Uh... Okay. Team player, yeah, team player leaderboards, yeah, it just has like total stroke number. Oh, there it is. Minus four. So pretty oh, okay. good. And then we had our next best, Haley Vargas, was plus two. She had one round, I think, that was supposed to be really good. Uh, I saw the team tweeting about it, but yeah, uh, started out with a um, nice uh, performance down in Boca Raton. Um, I'd imagine that this is just all in preparation for the big one, uh, the the biggest meet of the year. It's coming. Be ready. One way or another, you will have to deal with the Brezzy. The Brezzy! Uh, yeah! And of course, the Brezzy occurs on April Fool's Day. It, it just has to, right? For some reason, North Texas is hosting it, and it's in Oklahoma. I, I don't really understand yeah, that. Yeah, the Brezzy's but... in Oklahoma. Even though it's got like the North Texas logo by it, I, I do not understand. But same thing with Wisconsin hosting a tournament that's in Arizona. But okay. All right, don't worry. We'll find some reason to go down to the Bruzzy at some point. I w- truly would. <laughs> if I had a, an ounce of free time to dedicate to doing something as stupid as going to the Bruzzy, I would absolutely <laughs> do it. <laughs> Because I, I can only imagine just how funny for the two of us and nobody else it would be to do like live like coverage of the Brezzy <laughs> as like media members. <laughs> do you think we could get media credentialed for the Brezzy? For the Brezzy? I wonder if they even do media credentials for the Brezzy. I feel like I feel like we could leverage it into being media. Like I feel like our our I feel like our footprint now is enough to at least get in the conversation to get media privileges. The only reason we haven't tried is because you live in Topeka now. I'm graduating and neither of us have time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like, if it was over spring break, I would do it. Like, 100% I would do it. But it's like April 1st. Like, which is just like kind of a weird time. Yeah. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I'm I'm sad I won't be able to attend the Brezzy, but maybe next never, year. Maybe next year. Nevertheless, that's women's golf. So now we can get into the wacky segment of the week. And the question is if you had to cast one K State personality, be it media, player, or coach, to play the villain in a horror movie, who are you selecting? I have my answer immediately. All right. You go first then. Okay. Uh the answer is Kobe Savage. 
because I remember the Halloween video that they did with Kobe Savage, like walking in the dark in the locker room. And you are lying if you're if you don't think that Kobe Savage could sell being like a slasher villain, especially after watching that that Halloween teaser from the, the football squad. So I Kobe Savage to me is the obvious answer. I think that that's actually a really good answer. I have a few. I will start with KT Leviston, mainly because he has like similar hair as uh, 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 the Predator. Okay. That, that's it. That's the only reason. <laughs> and uh, then another one I have is Taylor Lauterbach because she looks like kind of Nordic. And that just reminds me of Midsummer, like okay. that one horror movie. That's also the only reason for that. Okay. But it's not, neither of those are particularly great reasons to like cast someone <laughs> as a horror villain, but that, that that's the best that I could come up with. Beyond that, I there there's plenty of guys you can make an argument for, I think, but maybe Pete Hughes because of the stare. Pete Hughes' stare, that could definitely be a decent one. Um other than that, I'm trying to think about people that have like imposing, like an imposing presence, like maybe like Keontae Johnson. Like, like he's a very like he's like I mean he's hey, like babe. six six and like just like built. So like he could be a decent horror movie villain. Bebe. Bebe would be a good fake out villain. Like he's like actually the nicest guy in the entire film that's that, that, that's actually true like that, that'd be a pretty good role that picture of him staring at the camera scares me like dude his he looks so upset yeah it's, it's something about his eyes that uh just just do that i don't know what it is <laughs> but I, I i can't think of any more right now so for now i'm stuck with kt and taylor lauterbach but there could be others yeah all right, you have any you have any last thoughts before we sign off? Um, unfortunately, no, I don't. Do you have any last thoughts before we sign off, Ace? No, my last thoughts are always just the outro. Which, speaking of, thank you for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact us, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us more personally, I am at AC Edwards 00. I am at Connor Baltazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff approved Doom Tank Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.